Well, hello, everybody. Hey, squad. Hello. It is. Oh, I hope everyone had a good St. Patrick's Day. I also realized that after I said happy St. Patrick's Day, it was like the Tuesday following St. Patrick's Day. So all in retrospect, I hope everyone had a good safe St. Patrick's oh, Day. Oh, yeah. Had a good boiled dinner. Every time I, I said this to my mom because I got invited to two boiled dinners, both family dinners. I'm not like fun. I was like, boiled dinners, you really only need to have once a year. And you're like, yep, that was food. No, that is such a good way. to. That's why I laughed because that's such a good way to describe any foods that you ingest on St. Patrick's Day. It's a boiled, a boiled dinner. dinner. It was okay. <laughs> How was your boiled pink meat? I know, right? I was like... <laughs> Was there mustard? Was there not mustard? I went to one and someone was like, everyone makes fun of me for having mustard. And I went to the second, there was also mustard. And I was like, oh. I mean, because corned beef is a version of ham. Corned beef? Oh my God, I feel so. (laughs) It's cow. (laughs) I might leave that in. Leave it in. I might leave it in. I might leave it in. I think it's important that the people know that I'm not as smart as I sound. (laughs) And I know I sound highly intelligent as a person who screams every sentence I speak. I'm going to scream a lot in this episode. Am I? It was weird. This one was weird for me because I had jokes in there, but most of the time I was sort of just like, this is sad. Oh, it's a sad episode. I'm actually a little angry uh, at the show, maybe. But this is later. Yeah, I have, I mean, I have thoughts on mostly Olivia's plotline, but, like, everything else, like, I, it's just, yeah, like, as a sister of brothers, I, well, well, Brittany has brothers, too, but, um, <laughs> I was just like, this is horrible. Like, oh, this yeah, is it's horrible. It's really sad. As, as with all episodes, this one's about trauma, it's particularly family trauma. I'm kind of I feel like this is going to be a weird recording like you said last week I think it'll be or maybe this is a voice memo um (laughs) it'll be a little like when we did stock too where we're kind of where we're kind of like anyway moving on the vibes off in this episode not our episode but in this episode the vibes a little weird and it's because it's a good episode but the whole thing you're kind of like oh you know like you're just like oh and I know last week's was like that too but it was like and you could wrap your head around it a little bit because, like, it was, it's violence, it's true crime type violence that is more widely reported on. Yes. This was just, like, a very creative and sad story. I'm kind of like, oh, who did this? Should we get into it? Let's get into it. We're both, like, making the, you can't, you know that uh, emoji with the teeth that's just like, I, that's the face we're making. <laughs> when I was writing my notes, there were a few times where I, like, write it on my computer so I don't have that emoji. I almost like put that in a few times, actually. I don't know if you know this, but we're recapping Law and Order SVU, season one, episode 12. No, 11, 11. Oh, God, I'm going to do this all. Episode 11, Bad Blood. But this is ESP episode 12. Welcome. Original air date, January 14th, 2000, directed by Michael Fields. And uh, I felt inspired this week. It was written by Lisa Marie Peterson and Don DeNoon. Well, guys, you did an excellent sad job thank you so yes. much for this. Ugh, here we go <laughs> so we open on what appears to be a rooftop uh, we kind of just get thrown into it like scene opens and stabler goes what do we got here and what do we got indeed the responding officer tells him that the victim's head was bashed in and that there were seminal fluids on and in the mouth hands 
legs. And it made the cop think of SVU. That's what he said. He goes, so I thought of you guys. And I'm like, what a great way to be remembered. I know. I was like, oh. And so Benson asks uh, if the victim, she says something about the victim. And she goes, was she? And the officer goes, actually, it's a he. And I'm like, oh, twist. twist. So Benson and Stabler walk over to the body and the cop tells them that he's been ID'd as Seth Langdon. He lives in the building on the sixth floor and they kind of like start looking around and Stabler sees sees this blood on an AC unit and said like the murder must have happened here. Um, Olivia states the guy didn't go quietly. So it must I think it's like a very violent scene. And they're like, oh, someone must have heard something. Yeah. And the cop says that there was a party, like a big party on the third floor that night. Then he also makes a comment about this being an ironic death because Seth is the son of William H. Langdon. Okay, I wrote socialite or something uh, who believes that homosexuality is immoral and can be cured. And Olivia goes, our first inappropriate comment of the episode, Olivia goes, well, that's one way to fix it, ma'am. She says it sarcastically. Yeah, she's clearly not a homophobe. No, no, she wasn't saying it like, well, that's one way to fix it. Dun, 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 dun. So now we're back at the state. Well, we're at the station for the first time in this episode. And Craig is handing out medical forms because the station got them all better health insurance. Munch is pissed because he believes that, that they are collecting information to use against them or stalk them or something. I don't even know what he was. He was kind of just like, they're going to use this information against us. And I'm like, how? For what? I know he was rambling. And at first I thought he was going to talk about how they're going to use this information to like deny them coverage. But then he just started rambling. And I was like, oh, that is not what he thinks. I know we say this a lot, but like it didn't really make any sense, but it was sort of just like a nondescript conspiracy theory. He's like, do you know what they want to do to us with this information? And Jeffrey goes, yeah, they're looking out for you, Munch. Psychiatric coverage is at 80%. And I'm like, <laughs> Cassidy, who has stated that this form is longer than the last book he read, hands his form in and Craig and tells him he misspelled hemorrhoids, which <laughs> I think we're both about to say, honestly, is a hard That word. is a hard word. And if he really did have them, that's really rude to like, I'd be like, if I handed over my form and my boss was like, oh, and you really have heavy periods, I'd be like, uh, <laughs> it's a medical condition. You spelled menstruation wrong. Yeah, no. And also we have Olivia over there. You know that she definitely dissociated from that moment. <laughs> I would not want to find out that a man that I had recently slept with had hemorrhoids. Um, I also have to know Jeffries is here in a yellow sleeveless vest. Um, I'd like to see her closet. I think it's just all yellow and gray vests. I think so. And then she'll occasionally pair. I don't want her to do this anymore, but she does do it. She'll pair like an orange long sleeve shirt under the Mm, gray vest. mm, mm, mm. I I wanted to do that with the yellow vest. It makes more sense. Yeah. But she doesn't. And she won't because she's Sagittarius. And now that I've said it, she's going to deliberately go against what I've just asked her to do. So Munch wanders over to Olivia. He sees her form and he goes, yeah, see, she is the right idea. Leave the father's side blank. So Liv kind of, she like doesn't even react to this. She kind of acts as though he just like pointed out that she spelled her own name weird or something. And Stabler just goes, let's keep our eyes on our own papers. Did you see the look Stabler gives Munch? He goes, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's like his crazy, like, <laughs> it's a little intense. He's like, keep your eyes on your own paper. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm not doing intense enough eyes. It's because you're not talking about the one you love. <laughs> Kraken suddenly has had enough of this bureaucracy talk, which he started. He asked for what I'm going to now call the Kraken rundown. Stabler's up first. He's like, this is Seth Langdon. He's a white male, 21. He was at a party on the third floor of his building. And then he went up to the rooftop around 1 a.m. There, Like Paige said earlier, there was seminal fluid all over him. And they are assuming this occurred pre-mortem. I am so sick of saying seminal fluid, but I guess that's on me for having an SVU podcast, so. 
it said a lot in this episode. Yeah, I have seminal fluid, and I'm not gonna lie to you, I kept forgetting how to spell that. I kept being like, uh, semen, semen, semi, you know? Like, I don't write semen enough to know how to spell I'm- it. Spell Cragen's last name like three different ways with a menagerie of letters. Sometimes a K. <laughs> a cornucopia, a cornucopia of, letters. of letters, if you will. I look at your notes and one day it's spelled Q U. Like <laughs> I know someone who's named Courtney and it's spelled Q U. Oh no. No. Her name is Courtney. Can I yeah, leave this I in? I don't know her that well. Okay. Cassidy notes that there were two types of seminal fluids found on Seth's body. One of them was Seth, and the other was, and Craig goes, the doer. Yes, I know. Last episode, we talked about, oh, maybe they're done with doer. Maybe they finally realize this is a really disrespectful term. Maybe just Cassidy, because he got yelled at by the victim from last episode, but Craig still uses it. Yeah. It's gross. I, I hate it every time it's I hear it. stupid. Because it's just kind of like, you know what it is, too? I think because we're girls, and it's like, it just sort of like, doer it kind of sounds like yeah. do her which is just upsetting you know the whole thing like yeah i wish they would stop but they won't craigan sends them off to talk to the party guests and william langdon respectfully respectively uh, i think b and s are going to talk to william langdon and cassie's going to cassidy munchity as i like to call them sometimes are going to go talk to the party guests stabler corners munch at the coffee pots and he goes hey don't bring up denton's father again and much is like, why? And makes a couple more wisecracks about like, he's like, is he a Jehovah's Witness? Is he an oh, alcoholic? They square off like two fire signs. Like, like the shoulders are up like this. And Munch is very much like, why? I'll say whatever I want about Olivia's dad. Stable's like, you better fucking not. <clears throat> I kind of got both sides of it because I didn't think what Munch said was that bad at first. Because I was like, he could have like been making the joke like before she got to the father's side. Like maybe she was like, I do that sometimes. because I don't remember like some stuff about my dad's medical history. So I'll be like, I'll get to him later. And I think they all kind of understand. They all come with their own emotional baggage. So he it's not like he has any problem with Olivia not listing his dad. So I feel like he's like, what? It seemed a little intense. And then Stabler goes, because, you know, he can't just be coy about anything. He goes, she doesn't know anything about him except that he's the man who raped her mother. And Munch is like, oh, Yeah, fuck. Munch makes that face like, oh, shit. Okay. I would have pooed myself right there. I would have been like, oh my God, like I, I dead ass. It's like when you make a joke about someone's mother and they're like, my mother died. And I'm like, I'm really sorry. Do you remember last episode when Stabler's like, your stomach just fell two floors? That would that would be me right then. I'd be like, oh my God. I probably would start crying. <laughs> I'd immediately make it about <laughs> feel me. So I'd bad. be like sobbing in the corner. Well, you know me, I'm a water sign. I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Oh my God. No, I would immediately make it about me, and I'm a fire sign, but it would just be more like, wow, am I this fucking stupid? See, I'm a Sagittarius, and we're very self-deprecating, unlike all the other fire signs. Dun-dun! I don't know what this place is. It's the Moral Coalition. How does this even exist? I don't really understand what they... I'm assuming they're some sort of horrendous advocacy association or something. Like the Moral Coalition, I'm assuming they they feel that they are in keeping morals and a one New York City intact. Okay, that was long gone anyway, sorry. But yeah, so they go there and they're going to speak to William Langdon and they are stopped by William Langdon's assistant. Uh, But then Langdon comes out and goes, yeah, feel free to come in and talk to us. Sorry, I kind of kept that one short. So now we're in William Langdon's office. I am back on my bullshit because I immediately laughed because he has some nice busts of some founding fathers perhaps in the background or some sort of wigged dignitaries. Some some homophobic humans. Yeah, back some problematic there. white men. Um, so they ask him if he knows anyone who want to hurt his son. He says no. 
they then are they're like, was he seeing anyone? Any men? And he's immediately defensive, like, my son is not homosexual. So Olivia's like, hey, did you hear about the circumstances of Seth's death? And then Langdon says Seth was rebelling, but they had it under control. Uh, so Olivia questions for all of us how something like your, quote, natural sexual orientation, and I'm quoting her, I'm not saying, quote, like, <laughs> natural, like, I believe this. She asks how something like that could be considered a phase, and Langdon says that homosexuality is not natural. He tried to, quote, help Seth in every way he could, and even sent Seth to one of those rehabs that are they wrongfully believe they can cure homosexuality. And Seth completed that program two months ago. So Sabler asks if that means he was cured. And William Landon goes, yes. Just Oof. ridiculous. Dun, dun. Fuck that guy. Yeah, it's one of those scenes. It's kind of like basically to outline how stupid people are and were. Boo. Well, we're now at the apartment where the party took place. Um, Munch is looking around and he's like, this party must have gotten out of hand. And... We're with the two hosts, and he's immediately defensive, saying, oh, we're gay, so our party must have been some wild S&M orgy. Munch is like, well, no, it's just that the last party I went to, everyone went home alive. And then I'm like, Paige, what kind of parties do you think Munch goes to? I was going to say, I think he goes to, like, eyes wide shut parties. Or he probably goes to, like, conspiracy theory book clubs where they read, like, pamphlets about, like, the JFK assassination that he's so obsessed with. I didn't realize he was such a fan. Cassidy is ever the, he hates like fun things like substances because Cassidy shouts at this, this couple that hosted the party and he truly shouts. The victim's BAC was 1.5. If you were a bartender, you'd be legally responsible. I was like, okay, well, they're not. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Didn't sound like, they said he had like a beer <laughs> Like left the yeah. party, so he probably had not been eating for weeks straight. If his blood alcohol was one point five, and he had like two drinks before he went up to the roof, one of the couple I loved this just because it was like such a random. He was like, "I've attended bars since Studio Fifty Four closed." I know. I was like, "Ooh, can we get drinks? I want to hear about Studio Fifty Four, please." I know. Like, I'm ever. I'm so angry that I never got to be around for Studio Fifty Four. Ugh. Old school NYC, so cool, so trendy. I know they would have if we had if we had died at any point. Then they would have been like, "Well, look at this feckless whore laying here on the street." The d- Detective Cassidy's like, "Oh, these women were drinking and smoking pot." Mm, I'm very concerned. The drinking and the pot concerns me. Scares me. <gasps> it sure does. Sweet summer child. The couple explains that the guests at the party were prominent members of the LGBTQ community, so it wasn't like a stranger could just walk in. Like, they wouldn't have just let anyone get in. Cassidy, who probably should have been left at home um, for this assignment, says he needs their names and addresses. He asks how well they knew Seth, and apparently they've seen him around the building's gym, and he was really nice, still finding himself. Cassidy, who I said... (laughs) Watch your tone. So he must have had a tone here. Asks if Seth hooked up with anyone at the party. One of the hosts says, on the contrary, he sort of unhooked. He arrived with an attractive blonde man. They had one drink and then Seth started to flirt with someone and the blonde guy got upset and insisted they leave. They argued in the hallway. The man left. Seth came back in, grabbed a beer and headed for the balcony. And the host insists that what happened on the roof had nothing to do with the party. It was a really civilized affair, which I believe they both seem like very like... They're, they're adults. They were having an adult party. Benson and Stabler are talking to the building supers. Their names are Lorraine and Jesse Hansen. 
Lorraine is queen icon legend Amy Ryan. Yes. Love Amy Ryan. I am like, I am like one degree of separation from her. I've heard she's really nice and she's a really good actress. She was really good in this episode. She was. Yeah, she does a great. They just did a new movie about the Long Island serial killer like two years ago. And she played um, one of the mothers and she did a really good job in that. Currently, she's on Only Murders in the Building. I think that's her most recent piece of work. But yeah, she's here. She's awesome. As Lorraine, she says she heard stay out of my life and then a beer bottle like came crashing down the street. She lives in the ground floor, and it seems like the only way her and her husband can afford this is because it's a ground floor, and he's the super on the weekends. As she's explaining this, he kind of moseys up. His mouth is always open. He looks like, you know the term shell-shocked? Like, that's how Jesse looks all he's the always, time. He's always just, like, a little disheveled looking. Like, his hair's always must, his mouth. They're an attractive couple, but they do seem less refined and maybe from a different um, tax bracket than the couple who threw the party. So Stabler asks about the parties in 3B and Amy Ryan as Lorraine says, normally they're pretty quiet, but last night they got three calls about the music. So Jesse finally had to go up there and talk to them. Um, He says around like 1 a.m. And he's acting a little strangely in my opinion. He's coming off as somebody who doesn't like to interact with people ever. It's almost like dogs who are. Oh yeah. He's kind of like my dog, Lucy. They asked if Lorraine looked out the window after she heard the bottle break, and she says she did, and then she saw a blonde man getting into a car. Dun-dun, station. Munch approaches Olivia at her desk and apologizes for bringing up her father earlier. She's very unbothered, in my opinion. She's kind of like, she's like, yeah, it's all good. She's sort of acting like when someone's trying to talk to you when you're, like, actually busy. And Munch proceeds to ask her, like, very nosy questions about the case. Oh, yeah. Did they find the guy? Any leads? Etc. And Olivia's like, no. She tells him... Stabler and Cragen know, but she do- no one else knows, and she wants to keep it that way. Stabler did not have to tell Munch. Both Munch and Stabler are inappropriate about, about this, and she does not say some- anything to either of them. She just kind of acts a little irritated, like here. That wasn't your story no. to tell. And it was, like I said about like Cassidy lifting his leg and peeing all over Olivia last episode, that's what Stabler's doing now. Like, Olivia's my partner, and mm-hmm. I know this about her, and eh. So... He does it kind of a lot in this episode, actually, now that I'm realizing. Some of it's hot. He is so hot for Olivia this entire episode. It's, it's, I have notes about it throughout because he is a thirsty, thirsty boy. So Olivia's trying to kind of brush the whole thing off. And Munch says that she could talk to him anytime if she wants to discuss the case or just in general. And she's kind of like, ugh, thanks. And in my notes, I wrote Stabler arrives because no one's allowed to speak to Benson alone. Oh, yeah, he's rolls right up looks at them he's like am i interrupting and they're both like nope um so they got a hit on that town car that lorraine saw and it drove to a brownstone owned by a stephen hale so benson's able to roll out to go confront this stephen hale guy dun 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 and you know what i wrote so many times i wrote haze because of the fucking hazes that have haunted my memory (laughs) oh never forget Except you guys will never remember because we couldn't post the fucking episode. We're at Stephen Hale's residence, the giant brownstone. Ellen live arrive and the aforementioned blonde man walks outside right at that moment, per usual, per SVU. Uh, and so they realize it's actually William Langdon's assistant. And William Langdon, Seth Langdon's homophobic dad. And Stabler, he gets all righteous and he's like, does your boss know what you did to his son? It's like, bro, we just got here. And Stephen Hale's like, uh, and as he's kind of like processing this, a little boy runs out and calls dad and runs down the stairs after Stephen. So they play some like sweet 
bum, 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 as like Stabler and Benson are like, oh no, he has a child. But they always do that with the kids. These people are always just leaving their own homes. And then the kids are always like coming outside right after them and being like, daddy. It's like, did you forget your dad existed in the two seconds like he left the house? Right. And it looks like the nanny was like about to take the kids somewhere because someone who does not look like his wife is coming after them. So, yeah, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And then, of course, I understand that, like, you know, then the police show up at your door. It's not. And then Stabler yells at you. Do you know what you did to your boss's son? But like he kind of grabs his son and looks at them sort of like they're about to take him. And it's just like, oh, my God, everyone needs to chill. Relax. Chill out. Dun dun. The station. (laughs) This had me screaming because Stephen Hale is now in the interrogation room and the they're like the blinds are up, but he can see through him. He is glaring at Benson and Stabler. He is mean mugging so hard. He just keeps looking out. Oh my God. He's like, he keeps like, he'll like kind of pace back and forth and he'll like turn and stare at them and just like shoot them a mean look. And they're like kind of weirded out by it for some reason. Like, oh, he's mad at us. Like they even say that. This scene is actually really funny besides the blatant homophobia. That is not funny. But this man's reaction right now is sending me. They all kind of are discussing how they 1000% believe that it's a fact that Stephen killed Seth. And I'm just like, okay, again, we literally don't know that yet. So Olivia says maybe Hale decided to work for William Langdon to somehow cure himself. And Stabler says, yeah, the same way Langdon thought sending his own son to a camp to Camp Wild Bunch would cure him. Camp Wild Bunch? Who the fuck? Okay, first of all, all pray away the gay camp should be... If you made one, you should be thrown in jail. That's your sick, horrible person. Wild bunch? You're dumb. What does that even mean? What is that reference? There's a movie called The Wild Bunch, but is it gay? What's the reference for? Uh, It's a weird name for any camp, but... Benson, Stabler, and Munch are kind of like having like this big conversation. We do learn while they're talking, and I think this is... They're kind of revealing this all about themselves. I'm sure they all have prejudices and aren't like... 100% the best allies all the time, but none of them have a problem with gay people. I'm glad we got that out of the way. I was nervous starting this episode. Like, this is 2000. Uh, And then they look over at Hale in one of the waiting rooms and he's doing his thing, like being mad at them. And they're like, yeah, he's fuming mad. And Munch is like, he seems like he's mostly mad at you guys. And they're like, yeah, that's why we thought you could go in and talk to him instead. I'm like, since when do you give a shit when a person's mad at you? Right. So much size, and he walks in to chat with Stephen Hale, who immediately is like, I am not a homosexual. Yeah. Which Munch literally is like, okay. So Stephen Hale explains that he was assigned to look after Seth. Seth's bigot dad is eyeing a run for a congressional seat, basically doesn't want the world to know that his son is gay. And then Stephen Hale goes, well, look at all the trouble the lesbian sister caused Newt. Munch and I do the same thing when we're angry. I've noticed when I'm really pissed, my mouth gets really small, like I suck it in. So I watch Munch's mouth just retract into his face like this. Unlike me, I usually keep all my anger on the inside where it can hurt me. (laughs) Munch is like a bomb that goes off and he just starts laying into this guy, like full on pointing his finger. And it's fucking awesome. I, I wrote down the rant, but I also love that right before he goes on the rant, he does the thing. He sucks his mouth and then he kind of does a quick circle, like a quick little <laughs> lap. 
kind of sighs, like he's kind of limbering up, and he says, You don't think Newt's problems had anything to do with his ethics violations or him being a pedantic megalomaniac who espouses family values while serving as cancer-stricken wife with divorce papers as she was in the hospital on her deathbed? He points, Did that ever occur to you? We immediately cut to outside seeing Munch, like, pointing to this guy, and Kragen's watching, and Kragen just is like, Does anyone know where Cassidy is? So funny. I loved that whole scene. <laughs> that was so good. You know it's bad when they're pulling in Cassidy. I know, they're like, all right, we need someone palatable for this fucking bigot. Let's go find Cassidy. Cassidy's in there and they cut right to Cassidy being in there now. One straight white male to another. Who hates things like, you know, immorality and drinking and pot. I wrote, this has a soothing effect on Stephen Hale. Yeah, Stephen Hale is softened. Hale explains that the night Seth died, he was supposed to go to some event that his father was throwing, but he never showed up. So Hale was tasked with going to check on him at the apartment building. So when he got to Seth's apartment, Seth pushed past him, basically, and was like headed to the party on the third floor, and Hale followed him to that party. Which is his right as a grown-ass man. Oh yeah, come to this thing that I'm throwing, but don't be yourself or open your mouth or do anything. Oh, the kicker is it's a political fundraiser. Like, his dad's throwing a fundraiser for his, like election run so Hale tried to get Seth to leave the party uh but he became embarrassed once Seth had literally one drink is what the host said he goes he had a drink and started flirting with people so I don't know how he got to be like so drunk but no wonder Hale and Cassidy are getting (laughs) getting along Hale was probably like he had one drink and Cassidy was like oh my god was there pot I'm really concerned. We should call the police if there was pot. Oh, I am the police. <laughs> Cassidy's like crying. He's like, we should really call the police. This is really upsetting me. <laughs> Where's Joey Pool with narcotics? We need help. <laughs> Joey Pool just busting that party. He's like, I'm here. <laughs> They're like, fuck Cassidy. We told you not to call Joey Pool. He goes, but there were narcotics. I am shocked Cassie didn't call Joey Pool on Harper from the last episode. Seriously, the way he was reacting to the the pot, they kept calling it. (laughs) You'd think that Joey Poole is on speed (laughs) dial. Uh, The pot makes me nervous. So yeah, Hale tried to get Seth to leave the party, and he got really grossed out and embarrassed when he saw Seth flirting with other (laughs) men. Ew. (laughs) 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 He was talking to other men. (laughs) Okay. No wonder they thought you were into him. Uh, So Hale says that they went out in the hallway. They argued, and then I guess Seth went back into the party, and then he went to the balcony, and then he yelled, stay out of my life, and threw the beer bottle, and Hale said that that was a message to his father, and I'm like, well, yeah, duh, because he had his fucking lackey following him around to a literal party. Hale does say that he regrets not trying harder to get Seth out of there, because it might have, he might have lived, which is true, or not, actually. Back, we're in the state. I wrote station, but we were already in there. So we're in the bullpen, I guess. Cragen needs a Cragen update. So Liv and Stabler tell Cragen everything that Hale said basically checks out. Um, Langdon confirmed he sent them to go check on Seth and everything else checked out too. Seth only, and oh, and they're reading Seth's journal and he kind of only mentions, like he doesn't talk about Stephen Hale as though it's like a romantic interest. He kind of like just calls him names and they can tell he's not yes. him. So Cragen asks about the other party guests, uh, and he takes a look at the list, and he's stunned to see how many high-profile guests were on the list. This sounds like a very posh party. And he tells BNS to go check the peoples out. Dun-dun! 
We're at some sort of like orchestra rehearsal and Jeffries and Cassidy roll up. Interesting little duo. And asked to speak to the conductor, Andre Lasnik. So they take this guy aside and they ask him if he spoke with Seth at all at this party. Um, he says they were introduced in passing. And Cassie's like, well, people saw you and it seemed like you were talking and seemed particularly chummy. So Andre's like, look, we talked about his childhood and it's pretty clear that due to like his issues with his dad, he's really attracted to men who may be like a father figure or are otherwise like unattainable. Andre says kind of in passing, well, you should look at the tape. I bet you'll see more on there. And Cassie and Jeffers are like, what tape? And Andre says that another guest had a camcorder running the whole time during the party. And then he said it was Assemblyman Rossi's boyfriend, Joe Bald. Uh, I spelled his name. Oh, no. It's Joe Bandolini. Yes, Joe Bandolini. Dun, dun, dun. So I wrote somewhere outside in the world because. Yeah, Benson and Stabler are on the street and they approach a cop car. So Officer Joe Bandolini is actually an officer of the law, and they ask him, they kind of pull him aside, he gets out, and he doesn't want to give them the tape because he's afraid that it will be socialized around the cop world, and that his colleagues will find out that he's gay, and he has kept that away from his professional life. So Olivia says that they might need to get a warrant. She's always threatening people I with know, a like she does like kind of jump in it pretty fast. So they just kind of have this back and forth where he's like, listen, I've watched the tape. There's nothing in it that's going to help your case. And they're like, we really, really need to see it because you can't know that. And basically, he knows that if it gets into the wrong hands, it could ruin his whole fucking life. Um, I'm going to say it wasn't that long ago in New York City where it was basically against the law to be gay. Yeah, I understand him entirely. And although, you know, the tape does come in handy later. He also doesn't know these people. Yeah, you can't trust anybody. And I mean, he seems like a really nice guy. And I'm sure it took him like a long time to build his career. And also, we get a glimpse of his partner. And his partner looks like someone. Uh, Don't judge a book by its cover. But I gotta say, they like, they're like, hey, can we talk to you? And they like walk him out of earshot of this guy. And this guy like, I don't know. He looks like a beat cop from the 80s who just like literally just sits in his car and watch crimes happen. And maybe like buys a little coke and beats a sex worker because he's a bad person. I've made a lot of assumptions about this guy. But anyway, I don't think Joe Bandolini should tell him about his orientation. I don't trust this. I don't trust his partner. Yeah, I totally I totally agree with him. I totally. Well, I don't get it because I've never had to go through this, but I get it from the perspective of I know just from history how people were treated. And I do not blame him. I would not want that tape to get out. Stabler promises that they will do right by him. And finally, Bandolini says he's going to come over by their squad room in the morning. Dun, dun. Munch is speaking with an older cop about Benson's mother's case. Um, This was a weird scene because I feel like, again, they like, they said things, but like nothing really helpful. Yeah. Okay. I was like, am I crazy? Because I feel like I listened to this like twice and I was like, I don't know. Basically, the cop says that they collared a guy who they think was probably the one who attacked Serena Benson back in 1968, and his name was Carl Cudlack. What a hideous name. In the 60s, Cudlack was arrested multiple times for rape, but his wife would always, like, give him an alibi so they could never keep him in jail for long, which is so very 60s. Oh, yeah. So once she killed herself in 1972, which I would love more details on that, 
they were able to put him away for, I guess, only a little bit, honestly. Again, so it's very vague. They don't really give us too many details. Yeah, um, basically all we learn here, besides the name of Carl Kudlak, is that the detective who worked on Serena Benson's case has passed away, and Munch just now has his, his notebook. I missed that part, but otherwise, that was kind of it. It was like, it was a little yeah. bit vague. Dun dun, because that's it. <laughs> Cragen's office. So Stabler is called in, and it's Officer Bandolini's in there, and I think he's got his, like, Basically an officer's rights advocate? Yes, this person's a lawyer. Okay. He's a mustachioed gentleman. I like this guy because, again, he's on the right side of history. But the advocate tells him that basically they threatened Officer Bandolini by saying that they would get a warrant for the tape. And Stabler's like, uh, no, we didn't. We're trying to collect evidence. And the advocate says that they both reviewed that he and Officer Bandolini reviewed the tape. And they know for a fact that there isn't anything on it that will help with the investigation. It doesn't really, there's nothing that is detailed enough to, to like, prove anything. And he also says that if there is any, if at any point, Officer Bandolini is outed accidentally on purpose, he said, which I was like, true. The SVU division will be hit with a defamation lawsuit that will make their head spin. Yes. Uh, the Red Vines are back on Cragen's desk. They basically have a back and forth again where Cragen and Stabler are like, we really need to see this tape. And actually, the um, his advocate from the Gay Officers Action League, which... I should have Googled to see if that's a real thing. I don't know. But basically, this rep says, you have your needs, we have our rights. Deuces! And he basically hands them some paperwork that says that they filed an injunction, and then they leave. Thank you. Okay, so I missed the part where it was specifically for LGBTQ officers or, you know, advocates. Uh, so that's good. Thank- I- I'm shocked they had that Me too. Then, I was like, honestly. well, that's good. Dun dun! Well, kind of. Um, they're in the bullpen now. Munch approaches Olivia and says that he's been looking into her mother's case. Super inappropriate. Yeah, and Olivia tells him in a more polite tone than he deserves that she appreciates the thought. She has looked over her mother's case a million times, and she tells him she's pulled everything there is to pull. She's really polite, but she does seem, like, vexed. And then fucking Munch is like, I don't think this was pullable. And then, like, hands her a little manila folder filled with secrets. And I guess it's Carl, about Carl Kudlak. And he goes, from what I've heard, he's right for it. And I'm just like, I don't know. But it's like, like, what do you mean? Like, what, like, what details? Now, Stabler busts in with the most macho display I have ever seen. He grabs Munch in like this fake wrestling move and is like, hey, 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 you messing with my partner? I'm like, Elliot Marie Stabler. What on earth? <laughs> I was trying so hard not to fucking scream into the mic. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I wrote he is, he lightly assaults Munch right here. He like grabs him. You, I wonder if around I the neck. Got a little PTSD because I assume this is what like Hulk Hogan did to him. He like grabs him in a fucking big wrestling move. Like, eh, you messing with my partner? I was like, boys. <laughs> Right, he like bum rushed him. He like ran up in like a bizarre macho display. I, I, that's all I can call it. It was, it was disturbing. <laughs> it just proves that Stabler is apparently traumatized from that six month period where Cassidy was stalking Olivia, and he's like, "Well, I have to make sure nobody ever does that again by stalking her I know. myself." Oh, it's probably one of those things where he can't like outwardly do it to Cassidy, so he's doing it to Munch. I mean, Cassidy's significantly smaller than Stabler, but I mean, they could probably like fisticuffs a little bit because he really didn't give Cassidy this much of the business. 
How does Olivia get any work done? Literally, Cassidy's sexually harassing her. Cragen's screaming. Munch is mansplaining her mother's case to her. And Stabler is too busy fucking trying to fight off Munch because he's mad at Cassidy. I am choking on the toxic masculinity. It is right love. How at the end of the season, they're like, we really need to get rid of Monique Jeffries. I'm like, oh my God, we need so much more estrogen in this show. Please, please. <laughs> done, done, done. We're at the cranky Emmy's office, but you know what? I feel bad for her in this scene. Is this, did she get a haircut or something? Because I was like, who's this new lady? I think it is her. Yeah, I think she dyed her hair like a darker auburn. So the Emmy is trying to tell Benson and Stabler that she has a preliminary hit on the DNA samples, the semen sample that wasn't Seth's semen. Sorry, everyone. There's just so much semen. So sorry. literally just semen everywhere. <laughs> we have to write semen uh, so I'm many so times. So they tested um, the other seminal fluid found on Seth's body, but they, and they have like a preliminary match for that DNA. But she says kind of a couple times, she goes, this won't hold up in a court of law. We need like the mitochondrial test to come back because this is just a PCR test or something. And the other tests will be more detailed. And while she's trying to explain this, Stable keeps going, the name, the name, please, the name. My God, it's like when he was assaulting Jeffries when she was trying to tell them about, um, mm, what was the child molester's name from that other episode? Oh, fuck. Oh, God. Ah, Bill Turbot. Oh, yeah. It's like when he was assaulting Jeffries about Bill Turbot. Yeah, what'd he do? What'd he do? What'd he do? What'd he do? So then she goes, she kind of looks at them like, for fuck's sake. And then she goes, Ray Gunther. And everyone looks like, oh, <gasps> fuck. And we're like, who the fuck is that? Right. It kind of reminded me. I, don't, I know you're not as big into South Park, but it reminded me of like, do you remember the Hat McCullough like, bit? No. So Hat McCullough was this, this child murderer they kept referencing, but in South Park, but he would eat the children. Oh my God. So, <laughs> so he was, there was this whole storyline where they're like, they thought that like somebody was campaigning for Hat McCullough to be arrested or to be let out of jail. So there was like a big protest being like, free Hat McCullough. This episode was just on TV the other day because I think at this like ceremony, he's like, now hand me a child. And they like hand him a kid and like the, bo- the boys are like, Oh crap, what do we do? Yes! Okay, I just saw this episode. They're like, Ray Gunther! Ray Gunther! And I'm like, it's like when they were like, Hat McCullough! Ray Gunther is a very violent sounding name. Yeah, they all have a a visceral reaction to it. And Olivia goes, Olivia says that they studied Ray Gunther at the Academy and that he was a well-known rapist in the early 80s. But she says, but he's in jail. And Stabler goes, he's out. They always let these fuckers out, like, right before something happened. They're like, oh my god, he just got out the other day, actually. So ironic. Oh, he was so bad he has a name. He's called. He was called the Parkway Rapist, which, like, in my head, as a, the first time I watched the episode, I'm like, oh, he sounds like a really bad serial rapist. I didn't really put it together that, like, he, he had a name, so it was, like, a big deal. Done, done. Uh, they go to the bullpen, and Jeffries is spitting mad. Oh, she is on one mad about Ray Gunther's release because and she says he brutally raped seven women and beat one so badly that she needed to have reconstructive surgery why okay well actually we do find out so then Brittany's favorite man the young Briscoe is there for literally two seconds they decide to give him he gets three lines or no he gets three words maybe he escaped yeah Stabler's on hold with Sing Sing I mean Stabler's always on the phone (laughs) oh forever on the phone actually he was not as much on the phone 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany held up a glass to a her face. prop comedy <laughs> for this for this auditory experience. <laughs> And Olivia's on hold with somebody else. I wrote Rikers. I was like, I don't know. She's calling jails. But they're all so very mad, as they should be. So it's one of those shots, which I really appreciate in SVU, where they pan the camera around to follow the action. Like, it goes from person to person as they have their input. And I feel like it makes the scene feel really fast-paced. I notice SVU does this a lot, and I really like it. So Cragen enters and he says that Ray Gunther was paroled after 15 years, serving 15 years of his 25-year sentence due to jail overcrowding. You know, it's a really good idea. Happens all the time, actually. Let's let out convicted rapists and pedophiles, but let's keep in a bunch of people who have dealt weed. We'll give them life sentences. I know. Make it make sense. Make the math math, please. Why? Because this is real. In California, they released um, that guy, the one that, you know, the one that cut off that lady's arms. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. What was that? Uh, Mary that guy. something? Mary, or her yeah. name. Yeah. Her name was Mary. I don't know why I can't remember this traumatic fucking story, but they let him out because of jail overcrowding. That guy cut her arms off and then threw her off a cliff. Not to mention the rape. It doesn't make sense. No. Keep violent offenders in and your local weed dealer let him out. What's he going to do to sell a little more pot? He's just going to make Cassidy nervous. That's why. <laughs> that's why Ray they're Gunther all in jail. doesn't make Cassidy nervous, so he gets to get no. out of jail. So Stabler asks if there's an address for Gunther, and Cragen says that, ironically, there is, and it's in Seth's building. Yep. Um, but actually, Benson and Stabler share a cute partner look here, and peace out. Done, done. Uh, Jesse and Lorraine answer the door, and Benson and Stabler ask us Gunther and staying with them. Lorraine tries to play it off, and she's like, nope, nope, no one's staying with us. Don't even know who that is. No, that person's not related to me in any way. And Jesse's face, I, I wrote kind of falls, but it's always a little bit fallen. So Jesse's face falls even more, and he confirms that Ray Gunther is his brother. I also need to note that his mouth was open the entire time. Never closes. Done, done. Back at the station in an interrogation room, Benson and Stabler have Jesse in one room, and Stabler asks Jesse why he changed his last name, which I thought was a stupid fucking question. And uh, he says, Gunther, not a popular name around your neighborhood? And Jesse's like, no. Honestly, this scene is kind of a nothing, because they basically, like, answer all their own questions. (laughs) Yeah, that's what Stabler's like, do you know, so you know what he did? And Jesse gets even more awkward and uncomfortable. He takes in a breath, maybe, maybe closes his mouth for one second. Olivia's like, don't let Ray cause you any more trouble. Tell us where he is. And he doesn't know. So now we've got Lorraine in another room. Munch and Cassidy. She seems really pissed off and worried. Um, She says Jesse's not going to say anything because Ray has this psychological hold on him. Jesse was 15 when Ray went to prison. And I said, wow, Jesse's a real rough looking 30. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Is he supposed to be 30? Oh my god. I Because remember do they that said he now. got left he got left out uh left out. He got let out after 15 years of his 25 year sentence. Cause he and then he went to jail. Let's see, this happened in 1984. So I'm obsessed with age, as I've said multiple times. 1984 minus 15, which means he's born in 1969. Yeah, so he's only supposed to be like 32, maybe. Oh, Ew. he's our age. Mm. Well, good for us. Reporters snuck into his high school and they were like asking him questions in front of his classmates. Um, And he says he thought Ray should be put to death. So they like run this as a headline. Um, And then Ray has just made him feel guilty 
ever since. And that's how he guilted Jesse into letting him stay with them at their apartment. Okay, so this is the difference between oldest children and youngest children. I'm an oldest child of two brothers. I swear to God, if any of them did, if either of them did some shit like this, and then I said on record, I think that they should be fucking dead. And then they called me from jail and were like, I can't believe you said that. I'd be like, and I'd say it again, you sick fuck. What's wrong with you? You're on the phone. I'm going to tell you right now. Yes, you should have been put to death. Fuck you. Oh, no. I feel so bad that I said that about my brother who tried to kill a bunch of women. They did not. This is hypothetical. Oh, I'd be like, wah, wah. Oh, man, man, man. You made me. You hurt my feelings. But that's the difference between being an oldest and a youngest. I would have psychologically tortured Ray every time he called me from prison. I'd be like, oh, you're in prison. Today I took a really nice long walk in the park and thought about how you should be put to death. And I said it to a bunch of other strangers, too. I said, hey, my brother should be dead. Oh, I changed my last name so people won't know you're my brother. That's how much I hate you. And I think you should be dead. Yeah, I hope I hope you. <laughs> that is all to say, um, Ray is the <laughs> oldest brother. And so he is able to pull the shit on his younger brother because that's the dynamic. <laughs> so unfortunately, as I just went over. So Lorraine confirms that Jesse, that they did let Ray stay with them for just a little while. After he was released because, but then she just couldn't take it because I wouldn't either because that would be fucking horrifying. Can you, I would have had to move out. As a woman? As a woman. And this guy moves in? I, mm, nope. Like, ew. I, I, I'm sorry. What? Staying. He can't stay here. I have a vagina. And the, the funny thing is she says that it lasted a week and then she had to put her foot down. But she put her foot down because Jesse started talking about getting Ray a job at his construction site. And she didn't want him to get in trouble at work by his coworkers finding out he's a Gunther. That would not have been. I mean, yes, it wouldn't have gotten that far with me. I would have been like, no, your rapist dirtbag brother can't stay with us. And so apparently the Gunther family in general is not great because then Lorraine goes on this rant about how his father was in and out of incarceration their entire life. Um, she says the mother is a piece of garbage. I, I don't know what she did. Um, and then there's Ray. And, oh, and then Lorraine says there's nothing but bad blood in the whole family. And I wrote, Siri, play Bad Blood by Taylor Swift. Ray is a piece of trash. <laughs> and Marishka's in the music video. So I was like, oh. Oh my god, you're right! I forgot! Full circle. So Cassie asks if Lorraine saw Ray in the building the night that Seth was killed. She hesitates, but then says Ray was in their apartment until 1am. Everything's just on the nose at 1am in this episode. And she says she doesn't know where he is now. Um, Apparently there's a lovely woman, and I'm being very sarcastic, named Cindy Stocklash. (laughs) She's a a dancer of of some sort, some exotic type. And she used to visit him in prison and he could be with her. She sounds hilarious. I loved that Amy Ryan slash Lorraine. She just called everyone trash in this like this whole like scene was just her being like garbage, garbage, garbage. So that, yeah, she goes, I don't know where he is, but he used to have some piece of trash visit him at jail. She reads everyone to filth. She's just like garbage, garbage, trash, in and out of jail. Cindy Stocklash. Slut shaming, Amy. And then they're like, okay, well, do you know where she lives? And she's like, well, last time I talked to her, I'm like, well, why did you, why were you talking to her? But apparently the last time she talked to Cindy, Cindy was like, I've got to move motels. This one doesn't have porn. <laughs> what? <laughs> they were probably at a sad diner dinner. Oh and Cindy oh my showed God, up. Oh, God, yes. And Cindy's yeah. just like, she's 
probably got to smoke. She does. Actually, she does have a voice because we get to meet her. But she's like, ah, got to move my motels. This one doesn't have porn. It reminds me of the time. Um, I think it was Brian Griffin on Family Guy brought home a, a lady. <laughs> so Lois is like, would you like to stay for dinner? She goes, nah, sorry, I can't eat. I got a wicked bruise in the back of my throat. That's Cindy Stocklash in a nutshell. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, dun, dun. So now we're at Olivia's apartment. Uh, she's listening to a tape that was made when her mother reported her rape to the police in 1968. So in the tape, we hear Serena painfully giving her account of the story. She was walking home from the campus library around 11 p.m. And she was struck on the head from behind. So this is annoying. This part isn't, but the cop on the tape says, you were knocked unconscious. And Serena says, yes, we hear her confirm this because, again, it's a tape. And she says that when she came to, she was being dragged or she was had been dragged to a landing below street level and a man was assaulting her. So then camera cuts to Olivia is in, I guess we assume that landing right there. Yeah. Listening to the tape and she's looking around and the cop on the tape is ridiculous. And he says, you engaged in sexual intercourse. Why would you suggest that she was knocked unconscious? Like you said that. She confirms yes. And that what she came to, she had been dragged to another location. And then you decide to fix your mouth to say, and then you engaged in sexual intercourse. I just, sometimes the writing, I'm just like, do, do better, please. Because yeah. I, I don't know. I get stuck on this stuff, but it's like, duh, I don't know. Whatever. I think I'm just getting too upset about it. I just think be smart. So Serena is describing this attacker and she mentions he has sideburns. The mugshot that Olivia. So when Olivia was first listening to this tape in her apartment, she was looking at that folder Munch gave her and she's looking at this at this mugshot of a man with sideburns. So now you can kind of make this connection of potentially Serena was talking about this suspect that Munch tracked down. And so, yeah, she's listening to listening to the recording. She's kind of mouthing along to it, which is upsetting to kind you kind of understand how much olivia's listened to this recording which yeah yeah but serena confirms that she knows the man had sideburbs but otherwise he was distorted or her vision was distorted because she was hit in the back of the fucking head this is like clearly affecting olivia because like you can just kind of see it in her mouth and eyes and she's getting really into it and all of a sudden like you hear the screech of like tires and a horn and it like kind of like jolts her out of this reverie um, and she just kind of collects herself and turns off the recording. Dun, dun. So dun, we're dun. at a motel. So Munchity goes to the f- door of this motel room and <laughs> we hear, we hear two people having s- some gross sex inside. Munch and Cassidy kind of grin at each other like, right I know. room. <laughs> they knock and, um, you hear Cindy in the piece of trash yell, who is it? She sounds like Rooster's girlfriend from Annie. Yes, very <laughs> stereotypical. They always give these girls like a hey, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> so much like it's detectives. They just want to ask a few questions, and you just hear some comical like, so we cut to the back of the hotel, and Ray Gunther is trying to escape out the back window. But um, these people aren't stupid, and they've been around the block many times. And Benson and Stabler are waiting out there to catch him. <laughs> Stacy calls after them as they lead Ray away, and he's like telling her to shut up. She's just like, "Hey, what are you doing? Hey, hey did you hurt him? Did they hurt you, Ray? Get your hands off him! He didn't do nothing." And of course, Ray's like, "Shut up!" And I'm like, 
this girl loves you. She's holding it down for you. And you're telling him to shut up. You're fucking mean. You don't even deserve love, you fucking piece of trash. The detectives just kind of razz her and Ray (laughs) for a good minute. You know, just like make, you know, make fun of them before they throw poor Cindy. Yeah, Cindy. Cindy, this is Cindy. your Cindy. <laughs> this is your Hamilton trill. My Hamilton trill. They put this this bird in a car, and they kind of razz Ray some more. They're like, "We've got your DNA. We know it was you." And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Um, so finally, he admits he had seen Seth at this at the gym sometimes when he went with Jesse. Um, and Olivia asks if Seth came on to him and made him mad, or maybe he even came on to Seth. Um, he then calls Olivia sweetie, and that's enough for Stabler to engage in some light police brutality. It's so funny. It's like a very slow motion. Yeah. Ray goes, why, you jealous, sweetheart? And Stabler gets triggered because don't talk to my girlfriend like that. It's my sweetheart. It's so my Detective he, Benson. It's my Olivia Benson. So then he puts just some pressure points on Ray and begins to, like, guide him down. He's like, that's Detective Benson. And he starts to, like, gently lay him to the ground (laughs) on his back, put a grown-ass man on his back on the concrete like a baby. And I thought it was hot. Oh, no, that was was attractive. Dead done. They're at Cragen's office, and Stabler has, or Cragen has called Benson and Stabler in there, and Stabler has no chill, as we've always, as we've decided. And he walks in and goes... Is this because I got a little overzealous with Ray? And Craig is like, hey, whoa, 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 what? And Olivia's like, nothing. What's up? If I were Craig and I would have been like, all right, I'm going to put a pin in that and we're going to come back to it later. But apparently Craigan's easily distracted. He's like, oh, OK, we have big problems because the other DNA results came back and they aren't Ray's. Uh, so Benson and Stabler go back to the lab to complain to the ME. She's like, listen, I told you these results would not stand up in court. Science, science, science. It's not right. It's someone in the family. Yeah. Something about mitochondrial DNA. I wrote Benson and Stabler share yet another sexy look of understanding. <laughs> I keep missing these sexy looks. So, yeah, as Brittany said, science, science, science. But what it came down to is that they tested the mitochondrial DNA and they found out that it's not Ray, but it's someone in his, like, immediate family. So a son, a father, and Olivia goes, or a brother. That's when they share the look. She looks at Stabler and goes, I'm going to pretend my microphone's Stabler. Or a brother. Oh, I didn't think that was sexy. I thought it was kind of just like. Well, I might look a little cross-eyed because my mic's kind of close to my face. More like. Not you don't look sexy. I didn't think their look looked sexy. You look sexy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they're kind of like, oh, it's Jesse. Um, so, dun dun, interrogation room. They've got Jesse in there. Um, I, his mouth is probably open, right? It is. It is? Okay. Oh, yeah. It says here in bold. Well, no, all caps. I'm sorry. I don't use bold or italics. It's just all in caps, mouth open. He looks very disheveled. Yeah, he's getting worse. Yeah, his hair is just like a little more <laughs> fucked up every time we see him. Like, this is what he literally looks like every time they see him. Yeah. Like, and he's always in some form of a plaid shirt, which is so not Manhattan. He looks like he lives in fucking New Hampshire. He looks he like does. every man. I'm about to go to dinner after this. I'm going to see. Actually, I'm going to walk out that door. My husband kind of looks like Jesse he kind of does. Stabler's like, we have a problem. We have this fucking DNA. 
And he shows him the paper and is like, does this make any sense to you? I'm like, it doesn't look like much makes sense to Jesse. No. And also it wouldn't make sense to any of us either. I don't think like aside. Doesn't it just say fucking science on it? You like flip it open and it's like some dots and shit. I don't. Yeah. And then didn't he say like, Jesse's like, no. And then he literally says no. (laughs) Stabler was like, yeah, us either. But what it means is like, I think he does say he goes, yeah, kind of confusing. Stabler says basically what the paper says is that it wasn't Ray Gunther. But it was someone in his immediate family. And do you know anything about that? And so Ray or Jesse's like, no. And then Olivia tells him that they could hold him for 24 hours to get a court order for his blood if he won't just give it willingly. And Jesse meekly replies, maybe, maybe I should talk to a lawyer. I, f- I feel so bad for him. Yeah. And then Liv kind of just like, it's weird because she kind of makes it sound like they're going to hold him. And then once he says that, she goes, oh, you're free to go. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I get it. They are trying to kind of, like, scare tactic people into confessing. But it was sort of like a, it was like a 180. She was like, we're going to hold you for 24 hours, get a court order, and get that blood from you. And he's like, um, I think I should call a lawyer. And she goes, oh, well, you're afraid to go. <laughs> yeah, and it's not like she says it like it's because of what he said. She's like, yeah, well, you're free to go. I was like, done, done. Munch has a sexy woman tchotchke on his desk, and it's been bothering me for episodes, and it's time for me to make my peace with it. It's, I've never noticed it until this episode. It's almost like they wanted, they were like, I need everyone to look at this sexy woman tchotchke. It's every episode they seem to have zoomed in a little bit more, and this time it's like, like half the frame. You have to like see it before you see what's going on at the desk. He also has a bust of JFK, but I don't have enough time to... Dig into that. So moving on. Sexy woman. Oh, yeah. So Cassidy and Jeffries and Munch are all standing around Munch's gross desk. And they're discussing that at Ray's trial in 1984, his defense team claimed that Ray and Jesse were raped by their father during childhood. And a lot of inappropriate comments come. Munch says, ah, the Menendez defense. Thanks, Munch. Yeah. Look at the Menendez brothers. If you don't know what that is. Uh, Cassidy says, could explain a few things about good old Jesse. Oh, you mean like how he looks traumatized? traumatized? Yeah. Okay. I hate Cassidy this episode. He's a prick. Yeah, like what is wrong with you? I mean, like, I mean, even before that, you could tell you could tell the difference between somebody who's just socially awkward, somebody who's been through some shit, and Jesse's yes. literal mouth agape expression is the latter. Um, so Jesse was put on the stand and he said that every he said Ray made up this story. Um, and as he's saying this, Cragen saunters up because he likes to interrupt people um and he's basically like he says jesse um will have more to say once they get this court order for his blood um and then everyone just starts talking about family and whether or not you can basically be born bad yeah they have a nature versus nurture conversation um and it's kind of and then but the important part is that stabler believes that nature is or nurture takes over for nature so he says that as long as you raise children in a stable environment with good morals and they're raised properly, they'll turn out all right. And I want to be like, okay, yeah, well, your son Dickie befriends a violent criminal, like in probably 10 more years. So I don't know if that's true. And Olivia is like irked by this and she like walks off all mad. And Stabler, who is obsessed with her this episode, follows obsessed. her. Obsessed. I wrote right here, is this the most into her he has seemed thus far in this whole season? In the series? With the exception of when last episode 
when she's like, now he wants to date me. And he goes, can you blame him? Oh, he's he's like fired. It's because of the competition with Cassidy. Men, I'm telling you. So Olivia says the only way any of this makes sense is basically if Jesse is fruit from a poison tree. And Stabler's like, well, you can't believe that. And then she walks off. That's the end of the scene. Yeah, she's kind of making it about herself, I guess, um, which I was going to comment on later. But it's sort of to imply that because of her history with her father, I think it's supposed to be like, oh, are my genetics poisoned? You know, do I have bad blood because of who my biological father is? More on that later, because I'm kind of like, well, you're 34 and I've never done anything. Yeah. This is like like a quest, like a 14-year-old would go on and be like, my dad was evil. Am I evil? You're 34, lady. It'd be one thing if she was battling a drinking problem, because as we find out later, Serena Benson is an alcoholic, because then you can kind of be like, oh my God, is this like nature versus nurture? But like, you're 34. You've never committed a violent crime that we ever hear about. You went to the police academy and are now trying to help people. And now you're having like a pre-midlife crisis. Like, am I going to maybe murder someone or commit a violent crime? Grow up, Olivia. Dun dun. Dun dun. Abby Carmichael's office. Uh, She was husky, husky, husky voice today. Well, she goes full Texan. She's like, ooh-wee, I hear your DNA tech did the Arkansas shuffle with your results. I was like, Abby, please. So she's like, you went after the brother first. Uh, uh, Jesse's lawyer apparently is like, where does this end? Are we going to test every relative of Ray's Gunther's? I was like, drama? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? Like, like you're just going to like, and so Olivia goes, no, we're just going to test the one who lives in the same apartment as the victim? Touche. And Abby's basically like, yeah, okay, we can get the blood then. Yeah, so that she says that she's going to make sure that the hearing for the blood test is scheduled for tomorrow. She says that in the meantime, it would be great for them to have a safety net for the other evidence. Uh, so just in case the judge is like, this is not enough. They want something else. So Olivia goes, the video. And Abby's like, ugh, ugh what video? They tell her about Officer Bandolini's video, um, but that too is tied up in litigation. And Craig kind of yells like, we just got a bunch of defense attorneys standing in our way. It's like, yeah, that's their job. So Abby's finally like, is there any way to get this video? And Craigan thinks about it and he's like, I'll see what I can do. He's got another one of his Craigan tricks up his sleeve. I also wrote that I thought it was weird that Abby was asking them that. She goes, is there any way to get this out of litigation? It's like, I don't know. You're the lawyer. Right. Did you go to law school? Could you tell us how to get it out of litigation? But Craigan has a plan. So done, done. They're outside in the city somewhere. We're on a bench in 6th Avenue. I just saw that in the background. Oh, I should be looking at these things, but nay. (laughs) Just nay. (laughs) You know I love a background. A background, a tchotchke. I guess this was a street sign, but whatever. Cragen's sitting on this bench and Officer Bandolini arrives. He sits down and he's like, my rep is not going to be really happy about this. Cragen says he appreciates him coming. He's like, you you know, we really need this tape. And Bandolini's like, yes. And I also know what it could do to me. And it's story time. <laughs> uh, settle in, Jeff Bandolini. More, more on golf, actually. And it's about golf. So there was some U.S. Open in the 60s. Some golfer hits his ball into the woods. He moves a leaf and accidentally moves the ball. He hits it out of the woods. It's a good swing. Ask my brother, Sean. I'm not a golfer, but uh, golf stuff. Um, Bandolini, like detectives Porter and Grudler, is like, what's the point of this? <laughs> Craigan's like, well, this golfer, he did the right thing. He declared the penalty. 
And Bandolini's like, so he won. And Cragen is like, nope, because he loves a twist in the third act. And he's like, he lost by a stroke. But he said he never lost any sleep over it because he did the right thing. And Bandolini's like, yes, um, so this is my life, not a game of golf. And Cragen goes, yeah, but how are you sleeping at night? And they're always, they always get him like that. It was like last episode where Olivia goes, when was the last time you slept without running shoes? And she was, and Harper's like, <gasps> so Bandolini kind of does that too. He's sort of like, drat, how did he know that I'm not sleeping at night? Yeah, he looks upset. Like he's shaking his head and looks bothered. So Bandolini implores him uh, to Cragen again, that the tape could be just detrimental to his life in general. Uh, if it gets out and Cragen says that he has his word that it will not be used inappropriately in any way. It's only going to be used for this investigation. And Bandolini hands Cragen the tape. I, the entire time, I was prepared for him to just hand him an entire massive camcorder. But I was like, no, Paige. Oh, yeah. I, for- I forgot that camcorder tapes at this time were kind of the same size as like cassette tapes. Yeah. And then you would put kids you would take the tape out of the camcorder and then you would put it in. It was kind of like, a, well, it was a VHS, but it was one that you could put the tapes inside and that's how you watched it. So Cragen is then like, you always meant to give me this tape, didn't you? Oh, and Bandolini, the cheeky little monkey's like, sure did. I'm gonna love your golf story. How have I gone this long without saying how cute Bandolini is? You read my mind. I was literally thinking of like, and how cute. did we get to this point in our recording where we didn't talk about that Officer Bandolini is fine as hell. Foin. Foin. With an O-I. So cute. He's foin. He's gorgeous. And I'm not his type. Dun dun. <laughs> dun dun. Dun dun. We're at the station again. Benson, Munch, and Stabler are reviewing the tape. So they see Jesse at the door in one of the frames. Uh, and then pretty much in the right, the next frame, he shuts the door and he, he leaves. So then Munch has them pause the frame and go back a couple frames uh, very slowly. And then you see in a mirror, the mirror is reflecting. Okay, I'm not explaining. You know, like when you look in a mirror and then you can kind of see around the corner. And around the corner, in that mirror, they see Ray. So he was at, he was inside the party even after Jesse left, which I thought was kind of strange. And he's never mentioned this. Right. So they're like, okay, so Ray was in the party, but Jesse left. Um, so now we're at Jesse's apartment, uh, Jesse and Lorraine's apartment. Lorraine is there and she's freaking out. Everyone thinks that Jesse did this. And um, that she says that Ray has been tormenting Jesse his entire life. So she goes more into detail on this. Apparently, while he was incarcerated, Ray would call Jesse every week from jail and just bully him into visiting him. So when he would finally go visit him, every time he came back, Jesse would just be completely distraught. He would begin to spiral. He'd disappear, binge drink, which I said is probably why Jesse's mouth is always open because he's probably always hung over. I just feel so bad for Jesse. He's just such a sad character. It's fucking horrible. And again, I'm sorry, but that is a dynamic that I think only a younger brother could have with their older sibling where you kind of it's like a bizarre sort of sort of authority figure thing. Because I'm just like, if that were my younger brother, I'd be like, I'm not going to come visit you little twit. She thinks that Ray had something to do with this no matter what. They tell Lorraine about the semen that was in Seth's mouth and they say that it was belonged to Jesse and she says that they're lying. They ask her why Jesse wouldn't give them a blood sample, and she kind of breaks here. And again, it was one of those scenes where they ask her a question that kind of has nothing to do with what she ends up telling them. They're like, why would he lie about this? And then she just goes, oh, God, I'll tell you. 
So she says that Ray came to their apartment around 7 p.m. and he and Jesse started to drink the entire night until about 1 a.m., which is when they received a couple of complaints about the music at the party on the third floor. So for some reason, Ray and Jesse go up to tell the host of the party to turn the music down. So then Jesse came down alone right after. And a few minutes later, Ray came back down and he dragged Jesse out back out of the apartment with him. And then Jesse didn't come back to the apartment around until around 2 a.m. Amy Ryan does a great job in this scene. Uh, you did a great job of the scene. All I have to add is that she did. OK, sorry. A great acting job. Dun dun. Time to talk to fucking dirtbag Ray. Ugh. So they approach Ray at his place of work. It's it could be Jesse's construction company. It looks like some sort of construction company. Um, Ray's in the middle of telling them that it was a joke. He's disgusting. He uses the F word and not the fun, cool one that we use all the time in this podcast. The gross, bad one. So fuck you, Ray Gunther. So he says he used to see Seth at the gym. And oh, this is hilarious. This is his hilarious joke. He'd tell Jesse that that was his girlfriend. And when he would catch Seth's thigh, he'd just wink at him. Hilarious. Wow. Comedy award to Ray Gunther. You're so fucking funny. He, yeah, he would notice, I guess Seth would maybe sometimes be checking Jesse out or like him and Jesse. Probably just Jesse because Ray is not that No, he's a greasy little stool, a poop stool. Scumbag. So he would see um, Seth kind of like checking out Jesse. And he said, and so when I would see that, I would look at Jesse, look back at Seth, give him a wink. Sort of kind of trying to let Seth know that Jesse was on the DL, perhaps, you know. That night, night of the party, when they go to tell them to turn the music down, Ray stayed after Jesse left. And he said that he saw Seth was, well, while Jesse was there, he said he saw Seth kind of checking Jesse out again. And so he goes, and I did my old bit. I looked at Jesse, I looked at Seth, and I gave him a wink. So when Ray and Jesse get into the hall, Ray asks Jesse if he saw his girlfriend in there. Jesse's really hammered at this point, so he tries to punch him, but he's hammered and he misses. He stumbles off down the hall, and as we know from Lorraine, he went back to his apartment. Um, A few minutes later, Seth came out too, so Ray tells him to go up to the roof. Jesse's going to be right up. So that's when Ray goes down and gets Jesse. Stabler's like, why? Yeah. And all Ray can say is sibling rivalry. Then they kind of go, okay, but seriously, like, what the fuck? Why? And Ray, for the first time, this whole episode gets like serious. Like, because the whole time he's just got like this attitude the whole time. He's just making flip jokes. Everything's a big fucking joke to him. But right His here. His girlfriend, the winking that he's got this like. Yeah, like a really. This air he's putting on. Immature, creepy sense of humor where it's like everything he says is not serious, but it's like. So then Ray gets this kind of serious tone and look on his face. And he says he didn't lie about the abuse from his father that that he and Jesse went through. Like he didn't lie about that on the stand because that was all true. And Jesse should have been a man and admitted to it. And he says that he would have gotten five years if Jesse had just admitted to the abuse. But because of that, he had to go away for 15 years. And Stabler's like, uh, Jesse was 15 during your trial. And Ray just goes, 15's a lot of years. (laughs) Yes. Oh, yeah. He was like, ooh, it's a lot of long time. So he kind of at this point goes back into his jokey thing. And he's like, I think it's so horrible. My baby brother killed a man. But you can't pin it on me. And Olivia's like, well. 
you set the whole thing up. And he's like, well, no, no, no. I set it up as a joke. Yeah. He goes, I set up a practical joke. Is there a law against that? Yeah, there is. Turns out there is. There's like four different laws. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun. So at the station, BNS are in the interrogation room with Jesse. They tell him that Ray told them about the night Seth died. And Jesse says that he did lie about the abuse at Ray's trial. So he admits to that. And obviously it's been guilting him where he, he feels guilty about that, which like you fucking shouldn't because he should have been away. So whatever. Right. He says that he tried to forget about the abuse all these years, but Ray would n- frequently bring it up, never let him forget about it. And he would take it a step further and accuse Jesse of liking the abuse and what their father did to them. Ugh, He's just a piece, piece of shit. fucking work. He really is. Just like, I just can't. Ugh. Whenever Jesse would visit Ray at prison, Ray would tell him he's going to end up there sooner or later. And Olivia's like, okay, I think it's time you tell us what really happened on the roof. This is awful. So Jesse sad. does not remember. He was really drunk. So he starts hearing Ray's voice luring him up to the roof and he starts to cry and he admits that he killed Seth. Abby, who was watching this from outside, is like, got it, man one, and starts to walk away. And Craigan's like, eh, 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 let's stick around for this. Olivia's asking Jesse about hearing Ray's voice drawing him up to the rooftop. And Stabler's like, did you hear his voice once you got up there? Oh, this is so sad. He's like, yes, Ray was laughing at me. And he started to come out of the fog. He saw what Seth was doing and he saw Ray laughing at him and he just lost it. And he wanted to kill Ray and... He was thinking that Seth was Ray. So as he was beating him, he was thinking it was Ray. And he's sobbing this whole time. And it's like that type of, and I say pathetic, not like, you know, when you're making fun of somebody, but it was that type of pathetic sobbing where he's just so like scared and confused. And every time he says, he goes, Ray was laughing at me. And it's just, again, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. Because it's like, again, it's like his older brother. And it was kind of like that. He's going into this trauma of just like tormented by this person who's supposed to like care about him, you mm-hmm. know, and he's just like, and he was laughing and he wouldn't stop laughing. And so then he has, he describes just basically bashing Ray over and over and over again. But when he kind of came out of the fog, he looked down and it was Seth and not Ray. Olivia goes, was Ray there? Like, could you see Ray at this point? And he goes, yeah. And he says he looked over at the doorway and he just sees Ray standing there laughing. Kind of, you know, he's after everything had happened, he said to Jesse, welcome to the family. Boo. Fuck this guy. So gross. So from outside the room, Cragen asks Abby, tell me we can get Ray. And she's like, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. She's like inciting a murder accessory. She like lists like 20 charges. Depraved indifference, accessory, and she says, in addition to his priors, he'll get more time than Jesse. And Craigan goes, please make sure he does, Abby. I think we all feel that way. Now, I have something to say here that the show does not say. Seth sexually assaulted Jesse. Yeah, I was thinking that too, actually. Now, the show did make it sound like Seth was inebriated, but they only said he drank two beers. I'm sorry, and Ray is clearly the main attacker, I would say, because he incited it. But Seth performed oral sex on a very drunk man who could not consent and who was so disturbed when he came out of his drunk fog that he attacked. 
I don't think Jesse should get any time at all. His lawyer should be like, he was defending himself. Um, He did not. He attacked this man thinking it was his brother. We are told many times that Seth is physically a lot weaker than the um, Gunther brothers. But I think it's not hard when you see a blackout drunk person, even the most high functioning drunk person. It's like looking at somebody who literally can't stand up straight. And also, this is just talking about cues here. I don't think Jesse ever gave him someone else winking at you. It doesn't that would be like if you and I were out and a guy was like trying to hit on you and the whole time you're not noticing it or you ignore it. And I keep looking at the guy and going, oh, yeah, like, like, go for it. That's not consent. I think that was weird, honestly. Yeah, it's weird that he would take that. And again, you're right. Like they should have done a better. We're not trying to victim blame here, but they should have done a better job if they because they were like, oh, Seth was inebriated. It is said twice that he had like two drinks. Clearly, none of this would have happened if Ray Gunther had not been there. But at no point does anyone... Jesse, someone who was sexually assaulted as a child... Yes. ...was sexually assaulted again. Yes. And everyone's like, oh, well, he is the killer. Manslaughter one. I'm sorry, this man did this in self-defense. Because if this were a woman, uh, it would be the same thing. It would be like if if someone led their drunk female friend to the roof and there was a guy up there waiting... Uh, see, I just got grossed out thinking about that. Like, really? Yeah. I mean, Seth is also a victim of this whole setup, but he didn't deserve to die. But that's not OK. And you're right. He was Jesse's reaction, although there the writing is kind of it like it was like his trauma, you know, but he, his reaction was self-defense. He it was overkill, to say the least. But he was defending himself because who among us wouldn't come out of a, a blackout? And immediately start trying to fight back against a person who was assaulting them. We're at the station later and Stabler is just doing, he's deciding to make this whole case about Olivia at this point. And he's like, live, live, love, love, you know, and <laughs> he's kind of, he's trying to convince her that um, genetics had nothing to do with what happened to Jesse. And it was because Ray had been tormenting Jesse mentally his entire life. And Jesse kind of eventually was, convinced that this would happen to him eventually i i don't agree with that as far as stabler goes i don't think he was convinced i think he was running from this possibility and it caught up to him because he unfortunately didn't have the balls to cut his brother out of his life yeah but olivia's all solemn and she seems unconvinced she seems to think that she's a violent (laughs) offender (laughs) she's not even the person who like gave raid gunther a little (laughs) a little twist down a few scenes ago so she looks at him stabler and she says that there's something she needs to do and he's like, what good will it do you? And I'm like, how do you know what she wants to do, bro? I know. So they go on a little date. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. So Olivia's <laughs> now walking down this street and she turns and she looks at the mugshot and looks up at some old dude hanging out of a window and is like, hmm. And then she gets back in the car with Stabler and goes, Not him. And he's like, how do you know? And she's like, I'm sure. I'm positive. I mean, I know it's, it's supposed to be Carl Kudlack. But also, it's ironic that Carl Kudlack was happened to be leaning out his window at that moment. I know. <laughs> I never lean out of any of my windows if you, like, watched me from my apartment. And he didn't look, I know, it's like, you've never met this guy before, and he doesn't look anything like his picture from the 60s. I don't know, the whole scene was kind of strange. She's convinced it's not her dad. Um, yeah, she even says, that's not my father. And I'm like, all right, well, yeah. Stabler's like, huh, okay. Okay. 
Executive producer Dick Wolf. Yep, executive producer Dick Wolf. It's a sad episode, and it, it's actually one that honestly got sadder the more I thought about it. Be- I actually feel guilty. When I first watched the episode, I did not think about the fact that Jesse had been sexually assaulted by Seth. And then my second time around, I was like, well, wait a fucking minute. Really? Really? We're going to give him man one? This rape victim's been sexually assaulted on a roof while his brother laughs at him? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it just, he was sexually assaulted again by a stranger, but then also by his own brother, sort of, because he set it up. You know, so he like watching the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Horrific on so many levels. Truly one of the most disturbing. And then he was blacked out drunk, which is already a very uncomfortable state to be in. It's wildly confusing, I'm sure. And then for all that to be going on. uh, Yeah, it really is like a very dark episode. Especially heinous. Yeah, especially heinous. This is an especially heinous episode. I'll get an A just because. The only thing I, I think is weird is that Olivia kind of decided midway through her 30s that she was now concerned she could be um, a bad apple. It's actually finally her turn to make a case all about her. Yes. We watched Sis Taylor do that like episode one through seven. And finally she was like, she's like, every week Elle makes this case about his kids, but I don't have any kids. But I don't know who my dad is. Let me make this episode about my dad. Yeah. It's almost like she was like, how do I do this? Oh, I don't know who my dad is. And he's a bad person. She doesn't do it as well as Stabler. She's just too level-headed to be really right. good at it. So. Right. No one brings the drama like one Elliot Marie Stabler. Ugh. I miss. I never thought I'd say this until we had a podcast about it. I miss the Staplers. <laughs> I know. They distract Elliot in a good way because this <laughs> this episode he was all keep your eyes on your own paper. Yeah, he was. There you go. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. She's doing the eyes, guys. She did it perfectly. Oh, my God. That was exactly it. I might have to. I'll find the clip of or we can find the clip of fucking Stabler assaulting Munch. <laughs> that was wild. Hey, you bothered my partner. <laughs> It's just like, just, just starts to like hit him on the head. Like, oh, hey, you bother my partner there? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Puts him in a headlock and gives him a noogie. You bothering my partner there? Stop talking to her. She's my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, you bothering my girlfriend, my partner? <laughs> I'm telling you, there are too many fire signs in this squad. There really are. Just, I mean, he's definitely, he's fire signing in this episode. He's like, let me get oh, involved. Yeah. Let me put myself in the middle of this. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm. Mm. And then Monique Jeffries, Sagittarius, screaming and yelling about uh, injustices <laughs> and then doing something a little naughty that gets her fired later. And I'm like, Ooh. that's so us. That's <sighs> so us. <laughs> <laughs> you and her are, are that like meme of a, what is it, Paul Rudd and someone he's like, I love, look at us. Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> look at, at us. us. So this episode was really serious. I have a feeling next episode's going to be a little more stocks and bondage, but I could be wrong. It's season one, episode 12, Russian love poem. Is this the one that's, ugh, there's one that I just always, like, that she finds her dad hanging in the closet or something. I know. Okay. I'm about to be like, ugh, it's so annoying. But it's like, I think this is the one I get mad at. Sorry. Go on. Oh, no, that's it. Besides the fact that I hope it's not about the Russian mob because I fucking hate those episodes. I think it's going to be. Well, either way, guys, we can promise it's going to be especially heinous. It's going to be. Awful. Uh, 
All right, well, it's Friday. Brittany's got dinner plans. I'm going to go get a, get a bottle of wine, and I'm going to watch the new Love is Blind. I am going to go eat so much sushi. It makes me sick. Um, I was going to wish everyone a good weekend, but this is going to be Tuesday. So everyone have an amazing Tuesday, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye, squad. Bye. <laughs>